0: hello it's great you can join us many thanks for tuning in this is search for truth this is your bible teaching program with brian johnston and today's the final talk of our 10-week series called the supremacy of christ for this talk brian looks into the bible once again in the book of revelation to view the marvelous vision of the victorious christ so now enjoy
1: thanks john Yes, one of the concluding visions of the apocalypse, or Revelation, pictures Jesus as the victorious King of kings and Lord of lords. We glimpse him, by means of the vision given to John, as riding triumphantly on a white horse. Let's pick that up from Revelation 19 and verse 11 onwards. John says, And I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse, And he who sat on it is called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he judges and wages war. His eyes are a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems, and he has a name written on him, which no one knows except himself. He is clothed with a robe dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. And the armies which are in heaven, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, were following him on white horses. From his mouth comes a sharp sword. So that with it he may strike down the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron, and he treads the winepress of the fierce wrath of God the Almighty. And on his robe and on his thigh he has a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. Then I saw an angel standing in the sun, and he cried out with a loud voice, saying to all the birds which fly in mid-heaven, Come, assemble for the great supper of God. So that you may eat the flesh of kings, and the flesh of commanders, and the flesh of mighty men, and the flesh of horses, and of those who sit on them, and the flesh of all men, both free men and slaves, and small and great. And I saw the beast, and the kings of the earth, and their armies assembled to make war against him who sat on the horse, and against his army. And the beast was seized. And with him the false prophet who performed the signs in his presence by which he deceived those who had received the mark of the beast and those who had worshipped his image. These two were thrown alive into the lake of fire which burns with brimstone and the rest were killed with the sword which came from the mouth of him who sat on the horse and all the birds were filled with their flesh. Well, as we begin to comment on those words we've just read from Revelation chapter 19, the most obvious thing to say is, this is war. Now, that immediately brings to mind the smear campaign with which atheists gleefully like to taunt Christians. You know what I mean. They like to claim that more blood has been spilled in the name of religion than for any other cause. I doubt it. In fact, I'd venture that historically that's a lie. Try telling that to the countless victims of the gas ovens of Auschwitz and the killing fields of Kampuchea, not to mention the gulag of the Soviets and the prisons of China. President Obama's 2015 United States National Prayer Breakfast speech was more than a little skewed as it tried to bring a counter-perspective to Islamic atrocities today. You know, there's a difference between killings, which are a logical result of one's beliefs, and killings which are an illogical result of them. That's not to say that it can be argued biblically that all bloodshed is wrong. Did God sanction war at times in the Old Testament? Yes, he did, indisputably. And as we've seen, he will do so again in the future. It's at this point that UK, United Kingdom celebrities like Richard Dawkins and Stephen Fry weigh in and rage against God, describing him as a bloodthirsty monster. Have they got it wrong? Absolutely. A more measured view in the West tries to defend the concept of a so-called just war. The end has to justify the means. The means have to be proportionate, and so on. Now we return to the vision in our text from the 19th chapter of the book of Revelation. Jesus is pictured at the head of the armies of heaven. This is the victorious Jesus. How is the victorious Jesus presented? He's described as faithful and true. Why is that title inserted here to further describe Jesus as he returns to this sad earth to conquer his enemies and all who've rebelled against him? Is it not so that we can be sure that it's totally in keeping with his holy character that he'll judge and make war. It's this that silences our doubts, or should do, for this is discriminate judging. Judging, that is, which discriminates between the godly and the ungodly. And the war described here, which some may refer to as the Battle of Armageddon, this war signifies the punishment which is due to be inflicted upon those who are rebellious. If there ever was a just war, this is it. It's certainly just but it's also fearful. Jesus' garment is pictured as red with the blood of his enemies. The imagery is borrowed here from one of the Old Testament predictions of Jesus, which we should now turn to and read from. It's from Isaiah 63 and verse 1. Who is this who comes from Edom with garments of glowing colours from Bosra? this one who is majestic in his apparel, marching in the greatness of his strength? It is I who speak in righteousness.' mighty to save, why is your apparel red and your garments like the one who treads in the winepress? I have trodden the wine trough alone, and from the peoples there was no man with me. I also trod them in my anger and trampled them in my wrath, and their lifeblood is sprinkled on my garments, and I stained all my raiment. Some of Isaiah's book is difficult to place. It's sometimes hard to draw the line between what's happened already in history to God's ancient people Israel and what's yet to happen to them and to their enemies. But it seems we can clearly place this passage in Isaiah 63 alongside our earlier reading from Revelation chapter 19 as ultimately applying to that future time of our Lord's return to this earth to liberate faithful Israelites surrounded on all sides in a Middle East which grows ever more turbulent as we head towards the end times the Bible predicts in both the Old and New Testaments. Those who focus exclusively on the idea of gentle Jesus, meek and mild, are left unprepared for the bloodbath described here in terms of the picture of the treading down of grapes in a winepress we conveniently forget the Jesus whose eyes blazed with fire as he overturned the tables of the money changers in the Jerusalem temple. Not to mention his numerous graphic warnings of Gehenna, the place of future torment. It's interesting that Jesus is again referred to here by his title of the Word of God. It's the Apostle John who's the Bible writer who consistently writes of our Lord as the Word whether as God the creator in John 1 or as God incarnate in John 1 verse 14 or as God the judge here in Revelation 19. Earlier in this series, we've considered him as both creator and incarnate and it remains now in this final installment to consider him as judge. He'll come at the head of the armies of heaven to judge and make war in the cause of truth. Earth's checkered history, laden with tragedy, only makes sense in the light of the fact that ultimate justice for all is coming. The opportunity to escape the justice we deserve, according to our sins, is now. All who repent today and acknowledge Jesus as their personal saviour will never have to face him as judge. Those who have served faithfully under his leadership are pictured in Revelation 19 as being on white horses and clothed in white garments, probably symbolising either their purity or victory or both. One thing is sure, it's only in Jesus that they've been made pure and been given the victory. The victorious Jesus smites the rebel nations and breaks them with his rod of iron. Again, this apocalyptic scene was foreseen in the Old Testament psalm. The second psalm describes a scene typical of human rebellion against God's rule, which will reach its climax in rebel humanity's last stand before Christ imposes his rightful rule over the nations of this earth. He whose right it is to reign, his previous life on earth showed that. So Psalm 2 says, Why are the nations in an uproar? and the peoples devising a vain thing. The kings of the earth take their stand, and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord, and against his anointed, saying, Let us tear their fetters apart, and cast away their cords from us. He who sits in the heavens laughs. The Lord scoffs at them. Then he will speak to them in his anger, and terrify them in his fury, saying, But as for me, I have installed my king upon Zion, my holy mountain. I will surely tell of the decree of the Lord. He said to me, you are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me and I will surely give the nations as your inheritance and the very ends of the earth as your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron. You shall scatter them or shatter them like earthenware. Some see the book of Revelation as nothing more than a figurative impression of the battle between good and evil. It's much more precise than that as events are currently demonstrating. But one thing from that oversimplification is true. Goodwill triumph. His enemies will feel the fierceness of his wrath and find no relief ever after. Well, it's been my privilege to share with you the most exalted theme that can engage our minds in any Bible study. Our minds have focused on Jesus. From John's Gospel, from Philippians, from Colossians, from Hebrews... And finally, from Revelation. We've now concluded this final section in our series of studies by saying again that clearly this final book of the New Testament is very much about Christ, as well as being conveyed by Him. I trust we've enjoyed seeing Him in its pages as the Creator Jesus. The eternal Jesus, the sacrificed Jesus, the worshipped Jesus, the prophesied Jesus and finally today as the victorious Jesus.
0: So that's the end of this series, and my final reminder to you to send for the transcript booklet if you'd like one, or more than one. Uh, If you would, then please tell us and ask for the title, The Supremacy of Christ. Now if you've got pen and paper to hand, I'm about to give you our contact details. So here they are. Search for Truth, Church of God, Downing Drive, Leicester le 5 6 ln UK I'll repeat that. Search for Truth, Church of God, Downing Drive, Leicester, LE5, 6LN, UK. Our email address is sft at churchesofgod.info. Now, did you know by looking up www.searchfortruth.org.uk you'll find our church's main website where you can download some actual programmes and their accompanying transcripts, As well as accessing other helpful material. It's been a great privilege to have you with us today. Many thanks for listening and I hope you enjoyed today's talk and the series if you've been following over the last nine weeks. Next week sees the start of a new series called Fence Post Turtles. So if you want to find out what that's all about be sure to tune in. Until then very best wishes from Bible teacher Brian, our studio technician David, our singers and me John. Goodbye, and may God richly bless you.